Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Today's reading from Scripture comes from the Gospel according to John, the 15th chapter. And just a word of context, John 15 is, uh, reflects the night that Jesus was arrested before he was crucified. Uh, we normally think of that as being the night of the Last Supper, and today uh, we will celebrate Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that on that night uh, they celebrated the Passover meal. Uh, But John does not include that detail. In John's Gospel, Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet and then gives them a fairly lengthy instruction uh, before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And it's in that context that Jesus said from John 15, verse 9, As the Father loved me, I too have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. As a result, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. I give you these commandments so that you can love one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For these days of Easter, the season of Easter, our theme is joy. And today, our theme specifically is the joy that can be found in knowing God's purpose for our lives knowing that God has created each one of us with unique talents and abilities and that God has a call on each of our lives. And so with that in mind, I'll begin with a question. What is your purpose? What is your calling? What has God uniquely gifted and called you to do? Now, as I ask that question, I'm not asking what your job title is or about your employment, though that can be part of the picture. 
I'm not asking about the duties that are on your job description, though they may also be part of it. I'm not asking about your to-do list, the things that you feel uh, compelled or um, forced to do, though those might be part of it also. I'm not asking about your degrees. I'm not asking about your certificates. I'm not asking whether you're employed or retired. I'm not asking about the duties or the responsibilities that we all have as citizens of the United States, as taxpayers, as church members, or even as members of our own families. All of those things are good. All of those things are important. All of us have those things, and they may or may not be part of your purpose. What is your purpose? What did God uniquely create you to do with your life. In a Psychology Today article entitled The Importance of Having a Sense of Purpose, a Stanford psychology professor named William Damon writes that purpose is a stable and generalized intention to accomplish something that is at once meaningful to the self and of consequence of the world beyond the self. That's purpose. Purpose is something that for you to do would bring meaning to your life and would be a benefit to others. It's accomplishing something that you can feel good about because you are uniquely wired to do it and you know it's going to make a difference. Now, lots of folks in the world, in social sciences and psychology and leadership, talk about the importance of having purpose but as Christians, we have a unique take on it. We believe that each one of us are uniquely made in the image and likeness of God, that we've been invited to be part of the ongoing creative process that God is doing in the world, that we're each members of the body of Christ uniquely gifted to participate in the work of the kingdom. We believe that every single Person, male, female, young, old, without exception, has a role to play in the kingdom. What is yours? What is your unique calling and purpose? It may or may not be your employment. Could be, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't require that you have a particular position or that you earn a paycheck or that you're rewarded in any way monetarily, or that you even have a title. It is possible that your job, your employment, is nothing more than your way of providing for your family, earning a paycheck, paying the bills. There's nothing wrong with that. That's important and necessary. But sometimes find, people find their purpose outside of their employment, caring for their family, participating here at church, volunteering in the community. Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe you didn't discover your purpose until you were retired and had the freedom to pursue it. Now, some do find their purpose in their professions. I am fortunate that I, my calling aligns with my paycheck. But sometimes people find their purpose as a parent or a grandparent. Sometimes we discover our purpose in our hobbies or caring for a loved one, a child, or an aging parent. Some discover their purpose in the midst of crisis. Something about crisis reveals things about us we didn't know. 
Or sometimes it's that person that sees the need and no one is stepping up to do it and so they know they must. It's true that some of us in our lives never discover our purpose. We spend our lives doing the duties that have been assigned to us. We do them faithfully. But we never have that sense that God made me for this. It's quite possible to live our whole lives and never understand that God had a purpose for us. But if you do discover your purpose, if you are in tune with why God created you, there is a unique joy in knowing that God has something in mind just for you. Julianne Stans, a Celtic Christian writer, says, Knowing who we are and who we are created to be can take a lifetime to answer, but it doesn't have to. The question itself is a journey And the answer can change as we change. As I mentioned earlier, in today's reading, Jesus is leaving farewell instructions for his disciples. Jesus knew that his life, his earthly ministry, was about to come to an end and that he would be passing it on to those who had most closely followed him. In John 15, 16, he says to his disciples, You didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit could last. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, the truth is that the 12 were part of the crowds that had followed Jesus. Who knows what their motivation was? Maybe they were looking for a Messiah. Maybe they were just curious. Maybe they were just kind of had to been to stumble into what Jesus was up to. But I think what Jesus is saying here is, know that your calling is rooted in my choosing. The 12 disciples didn't apply for the job to be a disciple. They didn't fill out an application for the job. Jesus didn't work through a headhunter or a recruiting agency. They had no prior experience as disciples of some other Messiah. They were former fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. No obvious job skills related to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus chose them. Who knows why? Who knows what Jesus saw in them, but think of what they did in the generations to follow Jesus' death and resurrection. Even the day when Jesus came down from the mountain and named 12 of them to be his disciples, I can't help but imagine how many of them thought, to be what? To do what? Me? They had to have wondered what Jesus had in mind. Now you will notice that I'm using several terms here interchangeably. I asked you, what is your purpose? Jesus said, I didn't, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I've also used the term calling, purpose, choosing, calling. They're all different but related ideas. Well, whatever term you're most comfortable with, purpose, choosing, calling, spiritual, gifting, talent, destiny, whatever one is comfortable for you, the idea is that each one of us has a unique purpose and calling to fulfill with our lives. You may be wondering, how do I know? 
How do I know if it's God that's calling me to do something? How do I find my true calling and purpose? Well, as Julianne Stans already told us, it's a lifelong journey. It's a journey of discovering, and even our sense of purpose can evolve over time. For the last 30 years, I've been an ordained United Methodist pastor. That's been both my calling and my profession. But as a pastor, I've done a variety of things. I served as an associate pastor. I've done administration. I've been a senior pastor and now a lead pastor. I started a new church in Port St. Lucie. I was a founding pastor. I used to be a youth director. Then I was a campus minister. I've served on our conference staff. I've done some coaching and some mentoring. I've done some consulting. I even used to write a newspaper column, all under the title United Methodist Pastor. But each of those roles, each of those tasks were different, different ways of fulfilling my calling. For many years, I've thought my purpose, my calling, is sort of like the old-fashioned matchmaker. You know what I'm talking about, a matchmaker? Someone who helps two people find each other for marriage? I've often thought of my ministry that way. I know a God who's really great, and I think you would like him a lot, and I would love the opportunity to introduce you And then my job maybe is to help facilitate opportunities for the two of you to get to know each other and see if a relationship can develop. Ultimately, the relationship's up to you. My job is simply to facilitate. And I've done matchmaking work as a preacher, and I've done matchmaking work as a writer. And some days I do matchmaking work overseeing our budget to make sure we can keep the lights open so that we can facilitate relationships with God. It takes many different forms. One of these days, I may even get to retire. But I don't think just because I've retired from full-time paid ministry that my calling, my purpose, will necessarily end. I've heard it said that the way that we find, discover our calling and purpose is at the intersection of three things, the overlap of three different things. The first is the the unique talents, abilities, skills, aptitudes, training, and education that we all have. All of us are competent at least, but probably good at something. Something that comes to us naturally. Something that we feel good about doing. God never lets our gifts or abilities go to waste. That's the first. Second, each one of us has issues or passions or concerns that affect us differently than other people. There's things that, that catch my attention that won't catch yours. There's things that maybe get under your skin that don't necessarily affect me the same way. That's a hint that this is a cause that you care about. This is a people group that you feel passionate about. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's the homeless. Maybe it's senior adults. Maybe it's youth. Who knows? But that says something about your calling. And then third, there are certainly many needs in this world that need to be done. When we discover ways that we can use our gifts and abilities, when we get in touch with the passions that burn in our hearts, and we can match those with a need in the world, that's the sweet spot. That's where our callings and our 
purpose comes alive. And that is where we find joy. Frederick Buechner says, the voice we should listen to most is the voice of our own gladness. What can we do that makes us the gladdest? I believe that if it is a thing that makes us truly glad, then it is a good thing, and it is our thing. Sister Joan Chittister, writing about the needs of the world, says, the question, what will you do, is at the core of spiritual maturity. To follow Jesus means that we too must each do something to redeem our battered, beaten world question for each of us is, what will I do? What will you do? For a moment, let me just get practical. Let me just bring it home for just a moment. I find that I'm rather frequently in conversations with, with many of you that have been around here a while about things this church once did, programs and ministries that we used to have but no longer have, and usually implied in these conversations is that we miss those, and we wish we could have them again. I often will ask, well, where did that happen, and who was involved in that, and, and who led it? And oftentimes, it's a lay person, or a group of lay people, a small group, or a Sunday school. It is true that sometimes it was led by a former staff person in a position that we may not have anymore. And I may be wrong, but I kind of get the impression sometimes in these conversations that the wish is that some member of the staff would restart it. Get it going again. Can't, can't we hire somebody to lead that so we can do it? I want you to hear me. We have a church filled with talented, capable, gifted leaders. If we rely on our paid staff to do all the things that we hope to do, we'll only be able to do a small part of what this, capable, this church is capable of accomplishing. But if each of us, in big ways and small ways, staff and laity, if each one of us gets in touch with the calling that's on our life, the purpose that God created us to do, what we can do in this church, through this church, is without limit. All of us have a calling. Imagine what First Church can be and do. Now returning to today's passage, we focused a moment ago on that line, you didn't choose me. Jesus said, I chose you. Imagine Jesus speaking that to you. You didn't choose me. I have chosen you. But I want to argue this morning that even more important than the choosing, the calling, is the expectation. Hear the rest. I chose you and appointed you so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit would last. Those first 12 disciples were the first that Jesus chose, but they wouldn't be the last. Many have followed, including all of us here today. And all of us are called to live fruitful lives. 
You and I may not be fruitful in the same way that the original disciples were. In fact, you and I may not be fruitful in the same way that each other is called to be fruitful. And yet, all of us are called to be fruitful with our lives. It's throughout the Bible. This theme goes on and on. Go all the way back to the creation story. And Adam is the first to call to be fruitful, literally fruitful. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm him, to take care of it. In other words, to make it productive. But otherwise, this idea of fruitfulness is more like a spiritual metaphor. Psalm 1.3 says that godly people are like a tree replanted by streams of water which bears fruit at just the right time and whose leaves don't fade. Whatever they do succeeds. What a great promise. Or the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 17, Happy are those who trust in the Lord, who rely on the Lord. They'll be like trees planted by the streams whose roots reach down to the water. They won't fear when drought, fear drought when it comes. Their leaves will remain green. They won't be stressed in time of drought or fail to bear fruit. Do you remember that day that Jesus was with the disciples and they came upon a fig tree that wasn't producing fruit and Jesus cursed the fig tree? Do you remember? Jesus wasn't just hangry because he was hungry for a fig. The fig tree was a metaphor for us. What Jesus was expressing there was not just a desire for figs. What Jesus was expressing there was disappointment. The same way I think he's disappointed in us when we don't live fruitful lives. And what is the fruit? What kind of fruit are we and the disciples being called to produce? Not literal figs, of course, unless your calling is to be a fig farmer. It's love. Did you hear love in that passage? It was spoken over and over and over that we are commanded to love one another as Jesus has loved us. And everywhere in Scripture, everywhere, anytime love is mentioned, it's love in action. It's not just a sentiment. It's not just a warm feeling. Love does. It acts in many and diverse ways. Our joyful purpose has to be rooted in love. Love for God, love for those who will benefit from our fruitfulness, and love for the very purpose to which we are called. Maybe you're an artist, and it's your art that you produce is the fruit of love that you offer the world. Maybe you're a musician, and the fruit of love you have been called to offer the world is the music you perform. Maybe you're a left-brained analytical thinker and your gift to the world is your problem-solving or organizing skills. We need more of that. Maybe you're the kind of person that is warm-hearted and compassionate and it's your acts of service to the world that are your fruit of love. Maybe you're a leader and it's your leadership that's your fruit. Maybe you're the kind of person that doesn't need to do anything in particular, but you're willing to roll up your sleeves and do what's needed. Maybe it's your service that's your fruit of love. Whatever it is, our fruit, the fruit that we're called to produce is that which we are able to do that makes a difference in the world. Don't you want to know that what you give your heart to, your life to, your energy to, 
makes a difference. Don't we all want to know that? Dorothy Day, who was a tireless advocate for the poor, once wrote, we can, to a certain extent, change the world. I love the humble honesty of that, right? It's not a bold claim. It's a humble claim. To a certain extent, we can change the world. Do you believe that? I mean, why are we here if we don't believe the world can be a better place? Why would we pray such an outrageous thing as thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We can, to a certain extent, change the world. But hear the rest. We can throw our pebble in the pond and be confident that its ever-widening circle will reach around the world. I think sometimes we're hesitant to fulfill our callings and our purpose because what we have to offer just seems so small, a pebble. What difference can this make? And yet, if you throw your pebble in the pond and I throw my pebble in the pond and we all throw our pebbles in the pond, it will Make a difference. Imagine, if you know your calling, and I know my calling, and we fulfill the purposes we were destined to fulfill, imagine what a world it could be. What is your purpose? What is your calling? Let us pray. And so, Lord, now, as we transition to your table, just as that night before your death, you gathered with your disciples around that table. Would you meet with us now? Would you draw close to us? Would you speak, whisper, hint, nudge each one of us what our purpose and calling might be? Would you set a passion in our heart that we can't ignore? Would you open our eyes to see a need that you created us to do something about in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website, at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.